Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. Thank you for listening. David, yeah. how's it going? Uh, I'm in a rush. Yeah, I know. It's a late late night record. Uh, our, our busy schedules, busy holiday schedules have forced mm-hmm. us into a late night Tuesday record. That's Ugh. two things we don't normally do. No. Um, so let's try and keep it short. Well, we've picked an, the perfect topic for that. <laughs> You're so. right, yeah. This will be our holiday movie preview. You could, Normally, we would do these sort of movie previews as a supplement, but we needed a topic on we short notice on a Tuesday. That did not require a lot of preparation. Yeah, because we're... Yeah, the episodes you hear over the next couple months are <laughs> actually being recorded in kind of a condensed time yeah. period. Uh, so something... Uh, drastically important to the world of film and cinema, mm-hmm. film and cinema. Uh, I'm going with that, sticking with it. Uh, happens in late December. <laughs> we might not address it until so, late January. <laughs> so that time in late December when Martin Scorsese murders Steven Spielberg. <laughs> look, the reason we didn't talk about it is because we recorded an episode three weeks before. You mean when he sacrifices Steven Spielberg in an attempt to resurrect Bernard Herrmann (laughs) in a dark pagan ritual. Um, And damn it, it's Elmer Bernstein. (laughs) He gets Elmer Bernstein. I imagine him like, like, like looking at the Ikea instructions after what you put together isn't quite right. That's Martin Scorsese. Like, what? I thought this was the Bernard. All right. This is dumb. Uh, Oh, but you know what? You, what uh, this is since we're ramping up to the end of the year here. Um, I've already uh, started to deeply consider my top ten list, which we will do around Oscar time. Yeah. Um, and of course, started to think about all the cramming I'm going to have to do, even with. Um, I'm doing so much better this year than I have in, in years previous. As am I, but I, there's still some cramming I'm going to have to do. Yeah. You know? Um, oh, you'll have to cram. You'll exactly. have to cram it. I haven't, seen, uh, I haven't seen Moneyball or Contagion. I haven't seen Martha Marcy May Marlene. Mm. Uh, these are all, all, all things that I would like to see. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mentioned, yeah, like I mentioned, the Oscars, uh, we might as well. We've been busy with guests and stuff. We haven't really addressed... We talked about Eddie Murphy hosting the Oscars way back when that was announced. Yeah. And we haven't addressed any of the Oscar stuff since then. No, because, you know, we had a guest last week and the week before. And I think uh, when we recorded with Dan, it was like a week in advance. So, yeah, I think all this happened and it just happened to occur at just the perfect time when we couldn't discuss it in any kind of timely way. Mm-hmm. But uh, so what do you what do you think about this whole thing? I think it's sort of like... I'm trying to think of an example. Imagine you were forced to eat uh, generic, say, uh, say we're back in Chicago, and for a month straight, all you could eat was um, the Jewel brand uh, frozen pizza. Oh. Right? Oh, that stuff, I couldn't... I, you and Cole made it, made one, and I was like, how bad could it be? That was... Awful, and you guys yeah. liked it. No, I didn't. I, Cole, we, were on, we were on the same page. I think Cole I. liked it, though. Because I was always trying to go for the cheaper brands when we lived together because we were broke. But that right. was one that I was like, all right, we're going to have to go with higher quality when it exactly. comes to frozen pieces. At l- tombstone and above. So imagine that you've been forced to eat for a month uh, that terrible jewel pizza. brand frozen pizza. Yeah. And then one day you get Domino's. 
Now, you and I know that Domino's is not good. No, it isn't. But after that month... It's a step in the right direction. Domino's is going to taste great. So, after the James Franco and Hathaway disaster, mm-hmm. and then the craziness of Brett Ratner produ- producing with uh, Eddie, Eddie Murphy hosting, mm-hmm. and then the, the comments and stuff, it's understandable that people are ecstatic at the idea of Billy Crystal hosting. Right. <laughs> yeah. But to try and step back and have some, yeah. some uh, perspective on this. Imagine Billy, Billy Crystal hasn't really been a great Oscar host in quite a while. Imagine that he, he was good, though. Like, he could be very good. He's He was the right kind of, of genial, but he also, like, would say some nice, uh, you know, just some, some kind of, not controversial jokes or anything. But I remember in 97, uh, he said... He made reference to Gloria Stewart, who was nominated for mm-hmm. Titanic, and mm-hmm. he's like, he said she uh, made her film debut. I don't remember if it was the debut, but uh, in, of course, The Invisible Man. You remember The Invisible Man? He directed As Good As It Gets, because <laughs> James L. Brooks was not nominated that year. And so, <laughs> cut, so it's just like, oh, that's not necessarily edgy, but it it's does kind smart of... smart and insidery. Yeah. That's and, fun for us. Yeah. And then I remember, I believe it was that same ceremony where he talked about uh, how last year was the year of the independent film you know fargo uh secrets and lies the english patient which was considered an, an independent film uh shine and he said so of course this year hollywood has followed suit and they're making independent films for 200 million dollars <laughs> that's not a bad joke yeah like yeah. he's he wasn't terrible no, that's what i'm saying he's not terrible but it'll ima- be fine but yes i see what you mean imagine if they announced after after John Stewart's like 2005 or uh, what did he 2007? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, he was 2007. That's, yeah, uh, I like, think imagine 2005 him, was Chris Rock, and that was one of my favorites. I mean, I of mean, all time. I mean, for 2005. Okay, because uh, which means he was in 2006. But yes, you're you're no correct. Chris Rock was 2005. No, because because remember 2005 that was the year of like the activist film and John Stewart, and they showed a big uh, montage. Of like films throughout the ages that like took a stand and then it came back. You're saying John Stewart was 2006. He was 2006 for the year 2005. Man, I hate the Oscars for this reason. No, yes, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying Chris Rock was 2005 for the year 2005. Exactly. Yes. Okay, I got it. Um, Because Chris Rock was the last one that I watched in Chicago. That's how. Okay, so I'll, I'll remember that. I remember that. But imagine, and I liked I liked Chris Rock and and I I liked both times that John Stewart hosted. But imagine. Imagine if they announced after Jon Stewart's second uh, hosting stint, which everybody really liked. Uh, imagine if they said, good news, everybody, next year, Billy Crystal. All of us would be like, ugh. And it's only when things got <laughs> – only when things are terrible with James Franco and Anne Hathaway and only in the face of horrible uh, homophobia, uh-huh. only then – to, is a Billy and, Crystal a breath of fresh air? And also, okay, let's. Eddie Murphy steps down in solidarity with Brett Ratner's homophobia. Is that what it is? Has he not moved on from the days of uh, of of Raw when he said horribly homophobic things? I I don't know if it's that. I think it might just be that like he and Brett Ratner like were working on it very closely, and he just felt that without. God help me, but, the visionary of Brett but, Ratner. But they bring on Brian Grazer, who is a producer on Tower Heist. The connection's still there. Okay. Uh, there, there doesn't seem like... 
it seems weird that Eddie Murphy stepped down. It seems like he's stepping down in support of Brett Ratner, which is crazy. I mean, maybe he didn't want to be a, maybe he just didn't want to be associated with this thing that kind of has that still has that that stink on it. You know, maybe to just I, make I, a completely I, but I think clean stepping break. down makes him more more connected to that yeah. stink. Maybe As if he's I don't supporting know. It's, it. It surprised me that that he did. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, and it kind of bummed me out that he did because I was getting to a point where I was not necessarily optimistic, but I was eager to see what kind of host he would have been. And I wonder if he's still in the run, if he's still in consideration for future Oscar hosting jobs. Yeah, I'd be I'd like, be interested to see it. Um, um, but what I do like about this whole thing is that you know sometimes I, I can just take. I can take joy in somebody being so completely themselves to the point, not merely predictable, but they just, they deliver on the promise they've been making their whole lives. And when Brett, Brett Ratner said that rehearsing was think, for faggots. I think that was a... That is how it goes. No, I think what you just said was a telling Freudian slip. Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner. <laughs> <laughs> and so just... The fact that he said that, it's like, we all knew who he was, but the very, like, and we all just, I believe everyone said that he kind of had a, was a frat, I believe I, in the early days of our podcast, I believe I described him as a frat boy who stumbled on a camera. Uh And now, in using the term that he used, it's like, frat boy, (laughs) there he is. Exactly. Finally, we're all, we, we, we can all be on the same page. There is, there's evidence now, like really confirmed evidence. And so, uh, so it's, I was just, uh, I was happy about that because just like, yep, there it is. <laughs> so, uh, of course it's a hateful term what he said, but, uh, I, was, yeah. I want to bring up, uh, something Mark Harris who writes for entertainment weekly and writes the most consistently good entertainment weekly columns, mm-hmm. uh, his sort of tips for the Oscars. Uh, his final one was make sure to hire a lot of gay people because you know they're going to show up for rehearsal. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's a pretty good joke. Um, they should make that. They should make that joke at the Oscars. Yeah, Billy Crystal could sell that joke. Yeah. Uh, so again, of course, I'll I'll watch the Oscars, but um, they mean less and less to me every year. Every year, I think they mean as little to me as they possibly can, and then they manage to mean less. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say that's about right. I still enjoy them. I still, you know, get uh, get excited. Ab- I get excited about certain aspects of them that may or may not actually be there. Uh-huh. Um, like, for example, the just and it, this is a couple years ago now, but the fact that oh, no, I guess I guess it was last year. The fact that Winter's Bone has the opportunity to get exposure as a function of the Oscars. That that the fact that it was up for so many Oscars. That's a good point. Yeah means that it probably got seen by a lot more people. And so at the very basic level, what the Oscars can do, which is a celebrate, you know, celebrate great film, but then also occasionally when they see, when they find a great film that people may not know about, and now more people do. I do think that that is, that's the big, and I've said it before on the show, so I don't want to, I don't want to hit it too hard, but like, that is what I get excited about with the Oscars. And every year there's like a film I'm like, man, I, it'd be awesome if they got that. It'd, mm-hmm. be, it'd be awesome if they got that right. And like the one, the one that I frequently point to is uh, Robert Forrester for Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. His is by far the least showy performance mm-hmm. in that film. 
and it would have been it would have been easy to nominate Samuel L. Jackson. Not not that Samuel L. Jackson was bad or Pam, Pam Greer was great. I feel like maybe that was actually an overlooked performance. But sometimes the the Academy can just zero in on the strongest thing, and you would never think it. Richard Jenkins for The Visitor is a good example. Ryan Gosling, who I, I admittedly I think people I think they saw him as like an up and comer, mm. but like Ryan Gosling and Half Nelson, um, John Hawks in uh, Winter's Bone, just it, it happens a lot with the acting categories. But just it yeah. and and but when still, that happens, it's very exciting to me. But the the films the problem is the films still have to fall into within certain strictures to be to qualify for that. Uh, right. Because uh, two of my favorite films of 2010 last year didn't come anywhere near getting nominated, and that was mm. Four Lions and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Right. Because for genre reasons, they're never they're, they're never going to. And it, just just today, as a day of recording, maybe this happened yesterday. Uh, Judd Apatow was uh, made some news for that. for um, making a big uh, stink, I guess, about how there should be a comedy category mm-hmm. like there is at the Golden Globes, uh, I guess. But it, that you know. You and I, I think, probably, if we have a niche within this uh, film podcasting world, it's the comedy thing. Yeah. You and I are the biggest proponents of comedy as art in this community, I think. But I I don't, I I wouldn't care if there were a comedy category in the Oscars because it would just be uh, the most sort of um, uh, middle brow, uh, half funny dramedy type stuff you know I don't, uh, I don't i don't think a four lions is ever even if there's a comedy category it's not going to get nominated. With, specifying uh dramedy i think i think you're on the right track there because even even if they i personally don't think there there should be one for purity purely uh, idealistic purity because for, it'd be, yeah, it'd because, be better for comedy to be nominated alongside drama exactly. than to have then to get, ghettoize it as the I phrase totally we agree. frequently use um but that's that's Purely ideological on my point, uh, on my from my point of view, um, and so, so yeah. If they wanted to do it, that's fine. But yeah, you're right because it's still the Oscars. It's like, oh, let's nominate, you know, Sideways in that category. And Sideways is a comedy, but it's the ex- it's the Academy acceptable kind of comedy, right? You know, uh, whereas just but a Sideways straight is, up, by the way, legitimately funny. It's legitimate. No, don't uh, get me wrong. I, I, I don't, like I don't mean to crap on it, but like, there's this moments. Will get us into our main topic, by the way. There's moments of. You know, pretty intense drama, and that's it's sort of like in in the view in the eyes of the academy that legitimizes the comedy. It's like, well, comedy doesn't need to be legitimized, and so it makes me wonder if a film like The Hangover, which is a, a very funny film and by all rights a solid, solid comedy, a great comedy, I would say, would that have been nominated? Do you think? I mean, it's got I, box I, I office wonder. on its side. Yeah, but that's that's so. a big thing. I mean, if if the Blind Side can get nominated for drama, that's true. Then I think the Hangover might. I mean, with it did, ten it nominees. Was that with ten nominees? Right. Yeah, but the Hangover did get the Golden Globe. That's uh, true. So, yeah, I think, I think that's. I think if it makes enough money, it's possible. But I'm yeah. there. There are things like, um, like Four Lions. I'm going to keep going to. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know, role models from two thousand eight. I think was yeah. a, was a great movie. Um, I had another uh, example at the tip of my tongue. I can't remember what it is, but not uh, ah, damn. No, whatever. If, if Four Lions had broken out and been like a huge financial success, I think that would have. Yeah, but, but again, we're talking happen. about something that has not happened yeah, and probably it, won't. Four Lions is never going to be no uh, a financial success. It's on Netflix. Watch it, and I need to get around. I, yeah. I keep meaning to get around it's to it. So great. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's. 
for reasons that are just in its bones, it's never going to appeal to a certain large segment of the population. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay, we're. Uh, Segway away. Speaking of sideways uh, and funny movies, we're going to start our main uh, topic here by talking about The Descendants, Alexander Payne's new film, first film since Sideways, because what we're doing here is our holiday movie preview, and as usual with our movie preview episodes, I'm just going to flip through the Entertainment Weekly (laughs) that lists everything that's coming out. Um, So let's get into it, shall we? Uh, Now, of course, we're recording here on the 21st of November, so Mm -hmm. the first week or so of these have already come out right at the time of recording um including the descendants um which i haven't seen by the way right um but this will be the first movie preview we've done really since i don't know if i mentioned on the podcast before that we sometimes get press screenings now i don't know if i brought it up but so a few of these have actually seen so it'll be an interesting uh mm-hmm. and some you've seen so it'll be an interesting uh, way to think about it uh, but The Descendants, uh, neither of us has seen. Are you excited to see it? Yes, for the I most kind of part. Have the same, it's, I'm excited to see it because it's Alexander Payne. Exactly. But because a lot of what I've read about it, it, it seems less Alexander Payne in some ways. It's in, in some ways, it seems very much Alexander Payne, but it doesn't seem like George Clooney. Now, that's okay. George Clooney, in a film like Syriana, has succeeded in being not necessarily himself. Unfortunately, based on the reviews that I've been reading, it sounds like he kind of struggles with the role, and mm-hmm. he has a hard time sort of de-glamorizing himself. Um, whereas, you know, I mentioned Syriana. That's a film where he sort of had to physically... He gained weight, shaved back his hairline, and grew a big beard. Like, he sort of had to do that in order to mm-hmm. really make this character, but he doesn't have those options. And, I, and from what from what the reviews say, it, it's... it's uh, Kind of hard to latch onto his character like you could uh, a Miles from Sideways or a Warren Schmidt um, or a Tracy Flick. You know, like at mm-hmm. the heart of their films, they always have a strong lead played by an actor who has a strong grasp on the character. And if you have an actor, I think George Clooney is a great actor, but if you have an actor who doesn't have that grasp, I could see the film sort of following suit and being a little shaky. But do you worry at all about the setting? And I know because. Even though Sideways was California, I mm. think of Alexander Payne still as a Midwestern director. Because mm. um, uh, Election and About Schmidt are probably his two best films, I think. Mm-hmm. And those are, and I haven't seen Citizen Ruth, I have to admit. Right. Um, but those are all, that's referred to as his Omaha trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, uh, I, uh, there's a part of me that just goes like, is he, I don't even know what it is. Like, is he changing who he is as a director by setting a film in Hawaii. Uh, well, and that, and to, again, we haven't seen it. So this is all based on, on reviews from what I hear. He actually films the, the film primarily in places that you don't think of when you think of Hawaii, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, like, Industrial Park. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's not mention it until the end of the episode. Let's see if the listeners can find where the edit is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, Uh, I think, are we done talking about Descendants? (laughs) Oh, no. But what I wanted to say is that, uh, is that, you know, Sideways is a pretty, uh, it's a pretty beautiful film. And, 
you know, it takes place in California, which I think a lot of people, you know, he made, he made films about the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And I feel like some people in the Midwest might look at California or Hawaii and say like, oh, those are beautiful places. And they might kind of idealize them a little bit. And it seems as though he's trying to take these idyllic locations and show that these people have much the same problems as anybody yeah, else. Yeah, that's a good point. So it might be that. And that actually excites me. That he's willing to explore that. Let's move on to another movie about uh, real people with real problems. Uh, Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part (laughs) 1. That is too many words. (laughs) And I left out the word the, too. I cut it down by a word. Breaking Um, the Dawn? That's right. Okay. Um, I don't know. Is there any ragging on Twilight that hasn't already been done? You know what? It's coming around now because now there's been a lot of articles written about like, okay, everybody, time to stop ragging on Twilight. And it's like, is it? I don't, I don't know. know. You know what? I've never read a word or seen a frame, I guess, outside of trailers and stuff. I saw the first film. Yeah. So, didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of weirdly, in a way, this is going to sound mean, like I don't really think of them as real films. I don't think they exist. Well, yes. Uh, you know what? I, I know exactly what you mean. And admittedly, you could probably say this about the Harry Potter series as well. It's almost like they, they arrived a success. Like mm-hmm. he, they're not merely critic proof; they are film proof. They but don't the, they don't but, go through the same process as every other film. Right. What I mean it's a I, guarantee. I, that's exactly what I mean because it's almost like they're almost like uh, it, it's slightly more expensive fan fiction, I guess, or like <laughs> it's like a YouTube video a fan of Twilight made. That's how I think of it. And this is not a judgment on the films because I haven't seen any of them, but I don't really. Consider them at all. It almost is like the films is like they're almost a formality. It's like, look, (laughs) the the books did very well. This is a whole culture. It's just a matter of time. So let's just get this done and make our money. What you're talking about is the way they make like commercial like trailers for books. You've seen those? No, actually. Oh, you can see them and like they show them for for big budget or big budget. I don't know, like big uh, ticket item novels oh okay you'll see commercials on tv sometimes where they make little tra- trailers that's essentially what these are right they're just commercials for the for, for the, the books? books i guess so yeah they're just right. uh let's move on uh, they realize they could make money on the commercials themselves so uh tyrannosaur we do have a review up on the site by scott i do um, want to see it it sounds pretty devastating yeah and uh the directorial debut of patty considine considine uh an actor i have Always liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think what I first saw him. Would it be in America or would I have seen him in something before? In America that? is the first one I can think of. Um, but also, he's in Hot Fuzz. Mm-hmm. And he's in... Did you ever see My Summer of Love? No, I didn't. That's a really good movie. He's uh, in uh, The Born Ultimatum as a reporter. Yeah, and then right. he's also in uh, Cinderella Man. He's been in other things too as well. Too as well? I don't even remember him in Cinderella Man. But, uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of commitment, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, that I have been doing that for so long that it's just the way I say things like that now. Yeah. And so the other day, I was trying to be derisive, 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 uh, derisive about the band Sugarland, uh-huh. and I pronounced it Sugarland thinking that was the joke pronunciation <laughs> and going oh wait no oh sugarland sh- would be sugarland whatever that means <laughs> no that's yeah that's the way everyone pronounces it <laughs> i've gone completely through the looking glass on that uh okay well it's but i do want to say it's got a great cast and i i especially like I ever Peter since Mullen. 
And I like Eddie Marson, or Marsan. I'm not sure how you pronounce what it. Who do I know him from? He's been in a lot of things. I know him primarily from uh, Happy Go Lucky, which he's really wonderful I in. see it. Uh, but, November 23rd. There's a lot of stuff going on November 23rd that I well, want to see. Well, there's one uh, big one for me that you have snobbishly decided you didn't want to see. What? Uh, David Cronenberg's A Dangerous Method. Okay. Here's Way back th- when I got a, the invitation to the press screenings, this was a couple months ago now, you were like, uh, I said, like, oh, I get to go see A Dangerous Method this week, and you were like, that's, that's what you said. Is that what I said? Yeah. That, that sounds like me. <laughs> so... Here's the deal, is that uh, a dangerous method, and it sounds to me, based on a tweet that you recently tweeted, um, <laughs> it, sounds, tweet. it sounds as though uh, I'm not the only one who thought this, that uh, as far as trailers and, and marketing in general, it would appear that that a lot of people, myself included, thought it was sort of a love triangle film, and that didn't really interest me. It's Cronenberg, and it's got a great cast, so of course I'm going to see it, mm-hmm. but it didn't interest me, and only when you said, it's not a tri- love triangle at all. Yeah, because I, like I do with, I try to do with as many films as possible, completely avoided any marketing for this mm-hmm. film, so I didn't know that people thought it was a love triangle. So, uh, I'm sure maybe the uh, marketing team over there at Sony Pictures Classics will be upset with me, but it is not a love triangle. Literally, Kira Knightley and Viggo Mortensen have one scene together, and it is not a romantic scene. It's just them talking hmm. about uh, Carl Jung. It, it's mm-hmm. the, it, there's it's not a love triangle. Uh, so if that's turning you off, then you know. Hallelujah. You can go see the movie. Quite it's the opposite good. for me. I've never been more turned on in my life. <laughs> but uh, but no, I'm, I'm very excited to see it. And, le- and again, it doesn't really matter what the content is. I, I am a fan of Cronenberg, and I would have seen it either way. But you love it. You think it's a great film. Yeah, it's, it's uh, currently in my top ten. But, of course, there uh, is a lot, of, a lot of cramming to be done, like mm-hmm. I talked about. Uh, um, and maybe Hugo will end up in my top ten. I know it's or getting a lot not. of great, getting a lot of great reviews. Yeah. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm actually excited to see it. I wasn't for a while, but based on, you know, Ebert is no fan of uh, 3D, and when he, even he is talking about how great the 3D is, then it's like, oh, this is exciting. I'm, I'm very excited to see Scorsese do something that's completely, completely new to him. So. That's exciting. And it has to do about the with the history of film. So That's cool. Like George Melier is a character in it, played by Ben Kingsley, and very exciting. I like it. Um, now, you saw The Muppets. James Poppins, The Muppets. Yes. And uh, there's a review uh, on the website, just mm-hmm. as there is for A Dangerous Method. Yes. And uh, and I enjoyed it a great deal. So it's uh, it, it lives up to the Muppet, le- Muppet legacy, I think. Oh, good. So. Even though it is the first... Uh, Muppet theatrical feature to not be rated G. Is it PG? It is PG. Yes. Okay. I don't. Uh, f- I don't really follow that sort of thing. I do know that like Frank Oz uh, did not want to be a part of it after he read the script. And mm-hmm. my guess, based on his reasons, my guess is they've cha- they changed the script since then. Uh, I think actually it's very true to the spirit of of the Muppets. It's not all the jokes totally land, but most of them do. And so it's very funny. It's very poignant. And uh, have you ever wanted to see Chris Cooper rap? I've got good news for you. You should see the Muppets. Um, now, let me ask you this, because as I've talked about before, um, I don't care for nostalgia. I don't possess a lot of it myself. Mm-hmm. I don't actually have very strong memories either way. Of the, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that I liked the Muppets growing up, 
but I don't think of them that often. Okay. And I don't know that I would go into a movie thinking like, of oh, this lives up to the early Muppet movies because I don't think of them that often. What, am, am I going to like the Muppets? I think you will. I think there's enough good jokes in there, but I will say that if you, for example, okay, Rocky Balboa. Did you see that? It was the, the no. sixth Rocky. Yeah. It's very good. I've only ever seen Rocky. Okay. It's just like I've only ever seen A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I've only ever seen Saw. Okay. I'm just trying to think of other movies I've only seen the first one of. Um, I'm not, I didn't even see Saw. Damn it. Goble. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's... It, so the reason I brought up Rocky Balboa is that that film works... Because I mean, it's a, it is a sequel. It, it continues the story of Rocky Balboa. It's not a standalone thing any more than mm-hmm. the Muppets is. Like it does require that you have that you are familiar, that you are a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I guess it could stand alone, but it does require previous knowledge of who the Muppets are. And it are also as requires you to be able to suspend enough, enough disbelief to think that this computer simulation's got a lot of people talking. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, after the last episode, we've gotten on our website and on uh, Twitter a number of, maybe it wasn't last week, a few weeks ago, a number of compliments or, or, or people uh, being glad to hear that we're fans of Tom Sharpling and the best show on WFMU. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to give that. <laughs> Uh, Tom Sharpling's fascination with the idea that this computer simulation's got, got people, people talking, talking. Uh, is the inspiration for that. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and that's that that movie. While it is very good, uh, it does have a line that I hate, in which uh, Rocky's trainer is he's like, "Let's start building some hurting bombs." It's like I don't think you need the word hurting. I think bombs just hurt, right? <laughs> So okay, but yeah. So I do think I do think you probably do need a bit a, a bit of history with okay. the Muppets to really enjoy it. Now, um, I haven't seen My Week with Marilyn. I don't think Neither have I. I'm kind of excited about it though. Here's what I just the the buzz. I'm wondering if it's going to be another thing like maybe was it three years ago when uh, Marion Cotillard was in A Life in Pink where she was Edith Piaf, mm-hmm. and it's a fantastic performance in a mediocre film. Yeah. And I wonder, given how much of the press is about Michelle Williams in this movie and not yeah. about whether the, the movie's good, I wonder if it's going to be another one of those. Well, you always get that with, like, biopics. And I know it's not a straight-up biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I'm, I'm excited to see her because I like her as an actress. And I like too. I like what Me she too. has kind of been turning out. But I'm also – I'm excited yet wary of Kenneth Branagh as Laurence Olivier because I feel like he may – He's clearly his idol. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I don't know what to make of it. Like it could be an amazing performance or it could just be like I feel like he's filleting Laurence Olivier <laughs> by playing him. I don't know how that's possible, but he's managed to do it. But I'm excited to see it either way. Um now we were both fans of The Messenger. Yes. Uh, was it just it was two years ago, right? The Messenger? Was it just last year? It was two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Yeah. Okay. Um And so are you then as uh, interested as I am in seeing Rampart, very much so. Again, uh, review on the site by Scott and I. Right. So it's uh, yeah, I'm excited. I, I like any movie about like a cop who's just absolutely insane, and if that cop is played by Woody Harrelson, oh boy. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm very excited for it. Uh, moving on to November 25th, another film that I am very excited for. That yeah. also there's a review on the website. I think this is the last one for a while that we'll uh, be talking about. Uh, but um, uh, the artist, yeah. Uh, 
I mean, my interest I, in that has grown. It's not that I... That's exactly what I was going to say. It's not that I wasn't interested. It's just like, yeah, all right. And no, then when I, just, I first heard about it, I thought like, oh, that's a cute trick. But I yeah. wondered if it was going to be... Um, uh, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, what is it? Like another <coughs> Roberto Benigni type of film? Yeah. Is this going to be like a Life is Beautiful kind of piece of crap? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the more I've read, I, I'm not a fan of Life, Life is Beautiful. and uh, I I've wasn't. come back around on it. I still kind of enjoy it. Uh, but, the, yeah, the more that I read about about the artist, uh, and especially the fact that John Goodman is in it. Um, I didn't know that until I was looking for photos of the film to put on the review. And I was like, is that John Goodman? Wait, is that from this movie? Or is it like a black and white still from Matinee? <laughs> But no, I'm yeah, I'm very I'm very very excited about about the film and just I'm sure it's going to be beautiful and I just it just seems like a lot of fun. There there does seem to be with like Hugo and the artist, there does seem to be a a, a bit of a of a theme of like films that celebrate film. And uh and I'm excited about mm-hmm. it. So December 2nd answers to nothing. Uh there will be a review on the website. Uh I saw it last night. It's um it's not very good. It's not. It's not as bad as it sounds like it would be. No, I it's, can't imagine. I can't. I can't immediately recall it. What is that? It's another one of those <laughs> things. Did you ever see the Safety of Objects? Or no, but I know of it. Yeah, it, another one of those movies that's just got an ensemble cast and it's sort of people's lives sort of intersecting and it's about lost souls or whatever. Blah blah. blah. I didn't immediately know that you were talking about a film. So when you said December second a- answers to nothing, I was like, well, I. I <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Are you saying that the date <laughs> yeah. answers to no one? That's right. That's right. Okay. You do not fuck with December 2nd. <laughs> um, but let me run down the the cast of this movie. Okay. It's it seems like it's it's TV actors. Okay. Jumping into movies uh, in a small role. I never know how, quite how to say his last name. Greg German or Greg German. Uh, you've seen him in, in stuff. Um, uh, for Lost fans, Elizabeth Mitchell okay. played Juliet. For Dexter fans, Julie Benz. Mm-hmm. I say for Dexter fans because that's more recent, but obviously she is Darla from Buffy and Angel, the obviously. my favorite character. Obviously. Um, uh, I feel like I'm missing another. Oh, uh, for Friday Night Light fans, uh, Zach Guilford is, is in it. Hmm. And then second build because it's chronological. Not a TV actor. Not really an actor. Dane Cook. Hmm. So, um, who directed it? Some guy. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's we've already spent too much time. It's, you know what? It's it's a it's a, a a pretty sort of dumb like wannabe uh, soulful indie type of script no. that is to this guy's credit uh, executed as well as it can be. It's okay. very well shot and assembled. Okay. Uh, but it's it's just not very good. Uh, Coriolanus, I am excited for. I am as well. Let me ask you this. Okay. With uh, Tyrannosaur and... Can you pronounce that again? Coriolanus? Coriolanus. Okay. I'm guessing. Uh, when I remember when someone first said it, I, I was like, Coriolanus? Like, I'm just... I'm not picking up titles today. And so, um, do you... what? Do you, when you first hear that an that an actor, even a well-respected actor is directing a film. What is your first reaction? Um, oh, brother? 
Okay. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, my my first reaction is that I'm I'm probably not going to like it, and I don't know what that's based on because I had the same reaction when I first read about Tyrannosaur until I, until I started reading reviews. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I just think that it's um. I, I just wonder if it, actors who have been on sets and are like they want to direct a film the way that the actors want the film directed and not realizing that there's a lot of other aspects to the movie and so maybe this will end up being this is my fear it's going to end up being something that maybe actors enjoy mm-hmm. but isn't going to be a well-rounded film yeah I feel like for every Coriolanus or like a good night and good luck mm-hmm. you've got you get yourself like a Jack goes boating or, um, what is that? Which I wanted to see. I heard good things. I didn't see I that. heard so-so oh, things, okay. like C-pluses across the board Ooh. for the most part. But what is that film that Mark Ruffalo directed? Oh, brother. That you that you hate? Sympathy for Delicious. Sympathy for Delicious. Oh. Even the title is infuriating. Yeah. But, that was um, horrible. And I, love Mar- and I love Mark Ruffalo just as I love Philip Seymour Hoffman or any, any of these other uh, actors who choose to direct something. But yes, my first instinct is like, okay, so this is going to be only so-so. It'll probably be the first of its kind, the first and only of its kind as far <laughs> as films directed by this person. <laughs> um, and it will probably uh, be completely forgettable. And yeah. I know that's probably not a great way of of approaching this, but with like Coriolanus, it's like, I, I love Ray Fiennes. This is a Shakespeare adaptation, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, and, and it seems to be, okay, it's modern Shakespeare directed by an actor. Like this is going to be probably really heavy handed and really <laughs> not that great, but it's getting good reviews and, and I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, me too. Also, I'm excited about outrage because I think Takeshi Kitano is awesome. Um, uh, I've been I've been saying to anyone who will listen uh, that if you uh, liked Drive, then you will love Fireworks, uh, a Takeshi Takeshi Kitano film uh, mm-hmm. from the nineties. Um, who did and, Battle Royale? Uh, he's in it. Oh, okay. He didn't, uh, I can't remember the director's name. Okay, so he's... he he is he is in it. Yeah, he was he was an actor first. He's in. Um, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, and some other stuff. Uh, and he stars in some of his films. I, um, I Actually, I don't know if he stars in Outrage, um, his, his his newest one. Um, but uh, he's, he's the kind of actor that makes me want to... And I, the kind of director, rather. Sorry. I was looking at uh, our uh, computer to see if it's going to freeze up again. Um, the kind of director who makes me interested in his films no matter what i mean Mm -hmm. they're they're usually violent genre films but he has a uh a bizarre sensibility and and sense of humor that is like the word quirk gets used kind of as as gained a bad connotation Mm -hmm. um because a lot of things like say garden state or um based on what i've heard 500 days of summer which i I fully admit i haven't seen um it, it seems like there's a self-consciousness to the quirk like they're trying for quirk but then there are certain uh people like Takeshi Kitano and also I think Miranda July um mm. who like that the the that quirk that oddness is in who they are mm-hmm. and it makes uh for bizarre and interesting films and that's why you get a uh uh the blind swordsman Zatoichi that Kitano, mm. Takeshi Kitano directed that is um uh you know, a weird sort of like 
musical samurai film that's incredibly bloody and weird. Uh, and then you also get things like Dolls, a film that he made that I don't think a lot of people talk about because it's, it's so thoroughly bizarre and not like his, uh, it's not his normal thing. It's, hmm. that's a, that's a weird movie that I liked. I don't know if it's great, but it's. So this film is called Outrage. Outrage is a new one. It's, a, is, it's probably crime, unlikely crime that it's going to get like a wide release, right? Like, no, it is coming. We will have a review up on the website when it comes out. Yeah, but that's still like, I mean, wide, like not New York and Los Angeles, but like oh, other places. I, yeah, as I, well. I, I, I don't know. It'll, I mean, it'll probably play uh, a few other places. It's okay. like, it's a, it's a genre film. There's a, there's a market for it. I think. Um, what shame, do you think about shame? I'm excited for, yeah. even though I still haven't seen Hunger. I know it's like on my list of things to see. Yeah. And I have not gotten around to it, but uh, I like that the director's name is Steve McQueen. I know. Um, and uh, I, I like Michael Fassbender. Haven't gotten sick of him yet. I know. And I, I don't. And, and if he if he keeps doing stuff like like shame based on on what I've heard, of course, I haven't seen it. Um, I don't think I will get sick of him because I think he's an actor who is not con- not content to, to I don't think he's going to be complacent. Like he's getting more famous. He could just sort of sit back and let, you know, Magneto type roles come to him. Mm-hmm. But instead it's almost as if like, okay, my name is starting to mean something. People are starting to know who I am. I'm going to use this opportunity to get some good work. And the shame sounds like a pretty intense, but a really interesting film. All right. Let's power through a few. Cause, uh, it's, right. it's late. Uh, here's sleep, th- sleeping. Well, go ahead. Oh, okay. Sleep, no, Sleeping ahead. Beauty, I don't care about. Don't care about. It sounds awful. And I want to make it clear that we're not talking about uh, Catherine Brelais. I'm not sure how you say her last name. Uh, the Sleeping Beauty was came out late last year, earlier this year. Which review actually, on the site. Yeah, there's a review on the site, which is actually really good. Uh, and that's coming from someone who hasn't liked her films in the past. Uh, this is the dumb one with the girl from Sucker Punch. Uh, I Melt With You, don't care. Uh, I so don't care that I skipped the screen. Here's what um, here's what's exciting about uh, how dismissive we're being is it's like Fatum's here. It's uh, you know, <laughs> but not quite as loud. Not quite boring. We could do that <laughs> from time to time. Um, so yeah, okay. Now are you are you on December 9th now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because here's the thing. Every year there's a film that I. I get excited about, I feel like, this is the only phrase I can think of to use, a film I can hang my hat on. Okay. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy oh. is the one that I'm very excited about. Like, for, Do like, you fear that maybe it's a little too marketed to people who are into the stuff you're into? Or not marketed, but geared toward? Possibly. Yes. It could be that. But it also looks like it's so complex. But what's more, it is built around a performance and uh, like it's built around a character that is beloved, um, played in the miniseries by Alec Guinness, played here by Gary Oldman. I'm excited to see him, you know, headline a film again, um, in a really meaty performance. That in in a I don't know everything about the film looks f- fun for me. And yes, it's exactly the kind of thing that's for me. I'll wait and see the reviews because I said the same thing about the Ides of March, and those reviews were. Solid Bs, I'd say that's about right. Maybe a B minus. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, there are the movies that that are very much up my alley. I want to see them. But yes, if I feel like it's sort of pandering to that, then I probably won't like it. But I'm I'm very optimistic. I'm very excited about it. And 
I've read a couple of, not necessarily reviews, but I've read a couple of comments here and there from people who don't like it mm-hmm. and say that it's boring. Now, the people who say it and the fact that they think it's boring <laughs> means that's actually gets me more excited about yeah, it. Yeah, there is a certain... Um type of person who if they say a film's boring it makes me want to see it we might be talking about the same person <laughs> but we will not say it on 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 the show because um, we don't want to burn any bridges uh let's burn through a couple more of these new year's eve uh fuck you gary marshall ah. the, the sitter fuck you david gordon green actually you let, know me, let me the, go into that actually real okay. quick uh because i think i might have talked about it either on here on the podcast or when i was reviewing your highness given that we are Fans of comedy is an art form. Right. We should be glad that someone who was heralded as uh, as a true American film artist, like David Gordon Green, with films like George Washington and All the Real Girls and and Undertow, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, which was a genre film. uh, Thank you very much, uh, David Gordon Green, for Undertow. Um, We should be glad that he's making comedies, Mm -hmm. right? Because it shouldn't be. Now, a big I deal that, that an art director is making comedies. But when you see your highness... Not literally an art director. And, uh, no, yeah, like an, an art house director, director yes, yes. yeah, um, is making comedies. That should, be, that should be great. We should be so on board with that. But when you make something like your highness, just fuck you. Because you're doing us no favors as people who proselytize for comedy as... Uh, he did make Pineapple Express, which is a not a... Not a gr- not the great movie that a lot of people think it is. Uh, that sounds really presumptuous on my part, by the way. It's like, it's not as great as these people think it is, and I know it isn't. Uh, <laughs> but it is a very good movie. Um, I think it goes a little crazy with the action at the end, but um, but it's very good. And what's more is, and again, I didn't see Your Highness. I might be right. I might be totally on board with you if I had seen Your Highness. <laughs> it sounds like I would be. But... Pineapple Express sort of got people thinking about James Franco in a different way. Now, he was a dramatic actor who suddenly mm-hmm. was like, w- w- what is this comedic performance here? And people, they kind of forgotten about the freaks and geeks thing. But, um, and now he's just as much a comedic actor as he, as he is a dramatic actor. You wouldn't know it from the Oscars, but, uh, <laughs> but, and, and I feel yeah, like, that's true. Uh, I feel like with a good, with a good, a lead actor in the right kind of role. Like I saw the trailer for just called the sitter, right? I saw the trailer for the sitter. It made me laugh a couple times. And I actually think that Jonah Hill who can, who can kind of play up awkwardness and being kind of abrasive. I feel like he could be a good fit with David Gordon, David Gordon green provided. Of course the film doesn't go too much into schmaltzy territory, which it didn't look like it was going to. Yeah. It looked like a really Again, I I might I'm not saying it's going to be but even great. Like, I don't want to the extent of like them going like him taking the kids to a sort of uh, rough nightclub or bar populated mostly by black people. It mm-hmm. seems like uh, are they going to is the screenwriter of Adventures of Babysitting going to get a screen credit like a, a right. credit here because it seems really really similar. It's like someone saw Adventures in Babysitting and let's say. The new bad news bears, and they're just like, okay, we want this, but we don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, it could be that, but I'm, I, I, I can't dismiss it just yet. If I had seen Your Highness, I might dismiss it completely. But yes, it is frustrating that David Gordon Green, who could have, be doing great work even within mainstream comedy, is content to do something as bad as Your Highness seems to be. Um, we is Madonna's. Uh 
film. I didn't see the other movie she directed. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah. Um, and this one, uh, I don't know much. Uh, I know a little bit about it's. Uh, I, don't, I don't need to go into it. it, it but uh, the only thing that intrigues me is that it stars Abby Cornish, who was very good in. Uh, now I'm drawing a blank. The Jane Campion movie. Uh, oh, well, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> you can look it up if you want. And uh, no. Fuck the it. piano? No, the the <laughs> most recent one. With Paul Schrader in it. Uh, oh, damn it. Who cares? We can uh, cut this out if you want. No, I, I don't care. Because I'm trying to get through this as late at night. <laughs> and people know what I'm talking about. The last Jane Campion movie. With uh, Paul Schrader in it. Paul Schrader was in it, but Abby Cornish was the lead. And, oh, fuck. All right. Um, all right, we need to talk about Kevin. We need to talk about. We need to talk about. Kevin. Okay. Yes. Damn it. This is really. I'm having a hard time. Ident- Screw you, 2011, with your weird <laughs> titles. Um. Yeah. I'm excited about. It. Are you? I am because it's Lynn Ramsey. Okay. Um. I mean, I, I think the subject matter is it could. It 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 could be. If I didn't know it was Lynn, Lynn Ramsey and I heard what it was about, which is about the parents of a kid who goes on like a Columbine type shooting right. spree, I'd think, oh, this is like intentionally envelope pushing indie type thing. That's Hasn't gonna... there been another film about that? Yeah, there that? was. And I don't remember the name I of it, but it's either. it's fairly recent and obviously it's it has slipped from our memory. Yeah, it came and went. But uh and it it sounds like that, but what was it called? Yeah, I don't was it I don't Joshua? Or was that a something else? I think that's something else. Okay. But like, I don't know. It's so late. It is, it is a little late and I've had a, we've both had a, a full day. So, um, but no, it's, I know that I put maybe too much emphasis on actors, but it is interesting to me how much an actor can act, can, can actually like make a bad movie or make a mediocre movie good. And I feel like Tilda Swinton is an inspired choice for a film like this. And her acting alongside John C. Riley, who I really like as an actor, but he's not quite the draw for me that he used to be. Um, but I'm excited to see the two of them together with this with this type of material because I feel like they're, they're sort of offbeat actors who will kind of come at it from a certain direction. And I think really, I don't know. I, I'm I'm optimistic about it. Beautiful boy, beautiful boy. Yeah. Okay. What was Joshua? Oh man, where is my head? All right. Beautiful boy. Who's in that? Oh, I don't know. Okay, don't look it up. Don't look it up. We got okay. We, it's enough to talk about the movies of this year. Yeah. Much less this. Uh, was beautiful boy not this year? I think it was earlier this year, wasn't it? Was it really? Maybe it was last. Year. Oh man. But yeah. I mean, it's hard. We've already, we're already talking about this Jane Campion film that may or may not actually exist. Uh, so let's not. Michael Sheen and Maria Bello. Michael Sheen. Okay, yes. I gotta see that. Why have I not seen that? Every, that sounds good too. I like both of them. Based on the cast, yeah. But uh, I mean, Lynn Ramsey is, you know, uh, Radcatcher is uh, phenomenal to me. Morvern Keller is uh, worth watching. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it's entirely successful. Maybe I need to need to rewatch it. Um, but it is definitely the kind of thing that when Lynn Ramsey ho- has hopefully a very rich and long uh, history of films, mm-hmm. uh, Morvan Keller will not be 
it won't be unimportant to her history. Mm-hmm. It just maybe isn't as strong as Ratcatcher. Okay. Uh, young adult. Um, now, I, here's the thing. I didn't like Thank You for Smoking. I didn't like Juno, but I liked Up in the Air. You did like Thank You for Smoking to a certain extent. I remember at the time you said it was very good, that it, as a satire, it certainly was, it wasn't network. It was, it was, it has, by the end, it becomes toothless. I don't remember liking it. I do remember you saying toothless, but you, I remember you, there was a lot of stuff you liked about oh, it. Oh, was that 2005? Uh. I was a kid then. For you, it was 2005. For the rest of the world, it was 2006. What do you Because you're a jerk. Because the way you uh, you specify like what year you consider a film to have been released. Okay. So for everyone else in the world, it's 2006. For you, it's 2005. Okay. I hate you so much. <laughs> oh, man. The claws come out. <laughs> All right, I just you start talking I, about thank you for smoking. I thought it was 2005. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know I was like making some sort of... I just drawing an ideological line in the sand. Um... um but yeah, so you, but, but, but you uh, didn't like that. You didn't like. But Juno. I liked Up in the Air. Yeah, it's. I felt like it. There was. Uh, there was growth from Jason Reitman as a director. That he was dropping some of the, uh, the sort of distancing tricks that he. Uh, I think there's a thing that young filmmakers maybe do uh, that Diablo Cody is also uh, guilty of, putting up this these sort of filmmaking just like. Uh, gimmicks or 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 crutches that um distance you from the humanity of the characters and of mm-hmm. the of the screenplay and that i i just wonder if as artists they're not maybe um comfortable exposing too much of their souls or their heart or whatever and mm-hmm. so they have this this uh, they take an ironic distance from the material well they could and, also feel like they have something to prove uh and just and it Someone like Jason Reitman, I don't want to psychoanalyze Jason Reitman, but he, you know, his father's a director, and so if he's going to declare himself, it's almost like because there's a lot. I, I I definitely understand what you mean with Thank You for Smoking, which is a movie I like a lot, but that's a film with a lot of like visual flair, and it's very it's very quirky, like we were talking about, um, and it it does feel like someone who's really really trying to declare themselves as a legitimate art. A uh, legitimate, legitimate artist who doesn't need his father's name, and sure, and and certainly he doesn't. He's, I think, he's a great director. But Up in the Air is a great film, I think. Um, uh, yeah, he, but he's being in in those early films. He's those first two. He's being um, showy, not in like a, it's not huge like fireworks and theatrics or whatever, but just uh, in the staging and when he uses slow motion and the uh, you know. Uh, jaunty editing or the even the lens choice you know there's clearly uh, a showiness to it mm-hmm. whereas I think for uh, and there was a little bit of that in in Up in the Air but for the most part it was a much more grown up and mature film that was comfortable just being about the character that it was about and the, the part when he the whole sequence when he goes home for his sister's wedding mm-hmm. um in that film, you wouldn't know you were watching some uh, buzzworthy young Turk directing. It seemed like yeah. uh, it seemed like a mature filmmaker that was comfortable just making a film about a person and being insightful, you know, uh, into humanity. That's a really actually, that's a really strong sequence. I actually don't mind not all, but I I actually like a lot of his directorial choices with Juno because I feel like he does as good a job as he can, sort of cutting out the he doesn't 
literally cut out the ridiculous shit from Diablo Cody's screenplay. But, but he, he sort of he tempers it a little bit. He tempers it, and I think there's a surprising amount of humanity in that film. There's a lot I don't like about it. It's a film I I don't like. Yeah, but I too. don't put that on him, nor do I put it on the actors. I put it mostly on the screenwriter and whoever produced the film and said, no, we cannot take out any of this screenplay because Diablo Cody has a fun name. And, and a story... <laughs> no, she's the, and a she's story the voice that, of her generation. Oh, really? <laughs> I, that's, I'm being that guy. No, I know. <laughs> and that does seem to be the general attitude. It's like, listen to her story. Isn't her story fun? I guess so, but what about her script? Hey, listen to her story, and her name's Diablo. Not really. So uh, I know that sounds... <laughs> does that bother you? It's not a real name? I know you have a thing with that. What do you mean? That we one you had had a guest on the show named Zaldronon, and no. it drives you nuts that you don't know his <laughs> real name. You know what? That's that's just because I know. Uh, you know, we know him personally, and I would see him on social occasions, and I had to say, "Hey, Zaldronon," that bothers me a lot. No, with Diablo Cody, it just it. I'm plenty of plenty of actors and and directors and writers like use a different name. I get that, but when the name that she has chosen is all part of the image. <laughs> of her as a quirky person, just like everything's, everything's affected. Like, oh yeah, that, and but so do you think she perhaps has? I didn't watch any of United States of Terra. Do you think she's grown? I also didn't see Jennifer's body. Um, in the way that Jason Reitman has grown, do you think she's grown? Because I like the idea of young adult, and I like the cast. Well, you'll have to you'll have to refresh my memory. I I haven't really taken an interest in it in the last couple months. Oh, the cast. The the cat. Well, the cast is good, but um. But I don't remember the concept. It's just um, Charlize Theron, I think, goes back. Is it for a high school reunion? Maybe she just goes, moves back home or whatever. And um, she's she's very immature, right? Yeah. And that's, yeah. Okay. But she was, like, I guess, kind of a popular uh, girl in high school mm-hmm. who was not grown up. Uh, but the main reason I'm interested is Charlize Theron, whom I love. Right. Um, Patrick Wilson, who yeah. I've always liked. And Pat Oswalt. Pat Oswalt. Yeah, okay. And here's the thing. The, ver- the, the concept, and we might be, so, so much of this, the problem with doing these previews is like we may wind up totally eating our words. Like this might be one of the best scripts we've I'm ever heard. I not remember anything I said here. I, oh, the <laughs> listeners will. And, uh, and so like, so the, the, yes, that concept, it to me does imply a certain degree of maturity because you remember with Juno, while I do think that Ellen Page does a really great job of imbuing the character with like some real doubt. Mm-hmm. If you look on the page, not the Ellen Page. If you look on the 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 script page, uh-huh. it's it's entirely p- possible that that character is the only one who's got it worked out. And all these adults are running around it, yeah. and they don't know what's going on. I'm the only one. I doubt a little bit here and there, but that's just because I'm dependent on these damn adults. Like she, the character of Juno seemed pretty flawless and to me uninteresting. Anything interesting about that character is, I think, a function of the actress. Um, but with this, we have a main character who has done a lot of things wrong and is kind of coming to grips with that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the very concept denotes a certain degree of uh, of maturity uh, from a screenwriting standpoint and Charlize Theron has proven herself an intelligent and insightful actor and I think she will see she will see beyond the surface of the character oh very much so Uh, so yeah I'm gonna put myself in the uh, optimistic camp much to my own surprise yeah um all right. Uh, I don't know anything about Lucy's except that it's uh, directed by Peter Facinelli so it goes back to that thing we're talking about it sure does (laughs) um uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks Chipwrecked 
I didn't see either of the other two. Uh, <laughs> I don't know Chipmunks movies. I didn't see them. I know. There are so, two. I know. Just in the fact that you've said that, it seems like you're taking this more seriously. <laughs> okay, let's move okay. on. Uh, Carnage, I have seen. Uh, oh, you will, did see it? Yes. I didn't know that. And there will be a review the week it comes out. Are you and allowed to even say? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I am. Uh, because it's played like AFI Fest and all kind of okay. other festivals. Um, it uh, Now, again, much like with The Dangerous Method, I have avoided marketing for this film. Okay. So it, this was a surprise to me, but I don't know if it will be a surprise to you or anyone who has uh, who has seen trailers and stuff. It is fucking funny. It looks like it's, it's okay. supposed to be. Yeah. I think just hearing the name Carnage and Roman Polanski not being known as a comedic director yeah. and seeing this cat, apart from John C. Riley, not a cast known for comedy. Oh, I mean, yeah. Christoph Waltz is hilarious. He's pretty funny, yeah. bastards, But that's still not uh, what he's known for. I was surprised by how funny it is. Okay. It is... It is like, it's not just like, I'm telling you, it's not just like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, intellectual, like, clever, funny. Mm-hmm. Like, it is laugh out loud funny. Okay. It is, uh, and that is definitely much to its credit. Um, as it is, it's a mercifully short film. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's horrible. I'm saying any film that's short is mercifully short to me because I love short films. Isn't that? <laughs> it's like 80 minutes. That's like a new, I, I know that for you and myself, that's kind of a new thing. I think it's newer for you than me. I think. Probably. I do remember when you and I first, when, when you purchased and we watched Domestic Disturbance. I remember you being like, it's only 85 minutes. Yeah. Like, that was your big selling point, <laughs> more so than the film you had yeah, just that's still a solid, uh, a solid thriller, Domestic Disturbance. If you, I think if you view it as kind of a, sort of a B kind of movie, yeah. then it's, it's, it's not bad. It tells its story quite well. So, um, uh, But anyway, um, I, as it goes on, it becomes a little too uh, shrill, and the characters sort of um, become less characters and more the things they represent in the screenplay. Okay. And that that's that's kind of problematic, but you won't regret seeing it. It's a it's a fast-paced uh 80 minutes that is as I said really funny. Let me ask you this. <coughs> you went to uh you went to the screening. Why did they I don't know, maybe the actors did the actors from the stage play not want to be in the film? I uh, they're all film actors. I well, mean Okay, they, the, it's it's James Gandolfini, Marcia Gay Harden, Hope Davis. Hope Davis. And Jeff Daniels. And Jeff Daniels. I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to work with um, uh, child rapist Roman Polanski. It could be that. I find um, it impossible, and I think this is... I want to say this to my credit, to talk about Roman Polanski without bringing up the fact that he's a child rapist. Is that, is that okay with you? Uh, I know it goes against my separating the art from the artist thing, but I still will like or dislike his films based on their own merit. Absolutely. But I just... I, it's like I want people to know that I haven't forgotten... I have a, you know, it's, this goes back to kind of some stuff that I've been thinking about lately, which is, of course, you know, he still, he did this terrible thing Mm -hmm. and, uh, terrible things have happened to him. That doesn't, it doesn't excuse what he did. Yeah. And not as terrible. No, not, no, not as terrible. Oh, you mean terrible things happened beforehand? Yes. Yes. Uh, That's what I mean. Yes. Not as terrible since, but yes. Oh, no, no, no. Beforehand, some pretty, some pretty rotten shit happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. That does not, that doesn't excuse it. Uh, by any stretch, but I, I, for me, I don't know. I, and he has not, if you'll excuse me, has not yet paid his debt to society. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a little, you know, a little frustrating. And so it's hard for us to kind of have that level of 
satisfaction. Like if he had been, if he went to prison and, and spent his time in prison, of course he still did this terrible thing, but he paid his debt. Yeah. You know who the, um, uh, I think of, uh, Michael Vick. I mean, I, I love animals, but, and, and there's a part of me that doesn't ever want to forgive, uh, Michael Vick for the uh, dog fighting and and the murdering, uh, dogs and stuff. But, Mm -hmm. um, just the fact that he went to prison for it, like it makes me as a liberal want to say, okay, you've done your, you've done your time. I'm, I'm not over it, but I will, I will give you a second chance. I will give you the chance to prove me wrong. Right. Whereas with Roman Polanski, I still think of him as a child rapist first and a director yeah. second. And, and don't, and, and I don't want to, to, as, as you say, like to some of the, maybe some of the liberals in, in the listening on it. Um, and maybe even some of the conservatives, I don't know, like just, I don't want to make it seem as though, Oh, well, if somebody, if somebody, uh, actually took their, their punishment, well, then that just wipes everything clean. No, it doesn't certainly not for the victim. Um, right. and so, but it's, it's, but it, I mean, I, I don't want to talk too much about, my political views or whatever, but to a certain extent, it sh- I think that our penal system needs to be completely revamped to the point where it is more geared toward that. Oh, yeah. Toward rehabilitation. Oh, you know, absolutely. There's been a lot of things in the news lately about um, uh, former convicts being able to buy guns, mm-hmm. and that's troublesome to a lot of people and probably should be, given what we know about what prison does to a person. Right. But in my perfect country, a person would emerge from prison... Yeah, Re- rehabilitated and be more uh, trustworthy with a firearm than when they went in, and and I to know that's an ideal. Yeah, but it seems that we're not even working toward it. To me, the thing that gets me is like allowed to buy guns, or like that's the debate we're having. Not allowed to vote, though. Yeah, they should vote. That's, that's so, like especially you- since counties that have prisons in them get to count their prison population. Toward their population and therefore for oh, their, their local representation, they get oh, stronger yeah. representation despite the fact that a huge chunk of that population can't vote. Are they being taxed? And, and spe- oh, uh, if they're being taxed, that's taxation without representation. Don't tread on those prisoners, David. <laughs> but I don't know. They don't have. Any, I don't have a lot of income in prison. I don't know. No, uh, but once when they get out of prison, they still can't vote. Right. Yeah. But but what I'm, but uh, and also given the the segment of the population that often ends up in prison uh you know being uh black males from uh more urban settings contrasted with where where prisons tend to be located mm-hmm. uh not only are they not being represented but they're they're the representatives of that area who are dependent on that as a population are often politically opposed mm-hmm. to uh, the, we're getting so far off topic. Well, to, to go, this, this, this is, goes this back to the Roman to Polanski thing and, and how we how we approach him. Because you know, for me as a Christian, and this, if he had gone to jail, this would be a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this discussion would be very different. But what I will say is, like for me, like to say noted child rapist, <laughs> noted. I, that makes almost anything twenty percent funnier if you say uh, that. I, I kind of agree. But like yeah. uh, noted child rapist, uh, you know. Roman Polanski, like to say that, even though that is what he did, he did not pay the penalty for it. The the Christian in me just says, like, even just saying that, it, it, it implies a certain degree of superiority, and there, to a certain extent, we're superior because we, we neither of I neither of us have done that. But it almost to me, it almost implies like we just assume that we couldn't. You know what I mean? 
But it, uh, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the thing that you I know. were talking about, that he has not been... Th- there has been no repercussion, really. I know. I, mean, I guess, yeah, he can't come to America, but <clears throat> has that really been that big a deal for him? He's been living in uh, a chateau. Right, and no, he's, he's, been, yeah, he's, he's still, doing fine. Yeah, he's still <laughs> making... He's still getting to work as an artist and making... Uh, yeah making great films and maybe the things that are good but slightly overrated like The Pianist. Yeah. Um, but uh, The Pianist is a very good movie. What are you talking about? I, the, uh, we've never, I don't think we've ever really had the conversation. I like The Pianist. Mm-hmm. I just, it's, it's not great. We get it. <laughs> things were bad. Right? Is that what you're saying? I kind of, you know what? Honestly, at this point, any Holocaust movie, there's a part of me that's like, all right, I know. You know what? It's. I know that sounds. I like the pianist because it really is just a tale of just survival, and that's mm-hmm. really it. And I kind of. I, I appreciate that, but um, I do. I know it. I know it sounds terrible. It's like unless you've got something new to bring, and I know that yeah. sounds awful. No, because you, the, because walking, it's exploitative if it if they don't. Exactly. I feel like exactly. But you're walking a thin line where it's the kind of thing that people say never forget about, and you don't want to. Right. You don't want to stop telling these stories because you do want people to remember that it happened. But at the same time, it is. It can be exploitative. Yeah, it, like if you're not going to do anything new, it's almost it's almost a cynical attitude. Just like if I said in the Holocaust, it'll do well mm-hmm. in some capacity, you know. And so I don't know, but that might. But yes, I don't mean to say like, well, let's just never tell the story. But you need to be careful because you can go too far in the other direction. You're just like, let's just tell the story. Problem solved. You yeah. know. Yeah, you don't really need to uh, invest any time getting the audience to like your character if they're yeah. uh, a Jewish person in the Holocaust. Exactly. Because the, the sympathy is already there, and that is that is an exploitative shorthand. There's almost an immediate shorthand of like, okay, there's you don't really need to earn anything as an artist if you set your film right. in this situation. Yeah. So, But then you get things like um, uh, The Counterfeiters, which was great. Uh, which I didn't see, actually. Yeah, it's really good. So um, it's still possible to make good films so anyway, uh, all anyway we've gotten <laughs> this i can't believe this all came from carnage but yeah but it's 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 a f- yeah so that so when you say like the the child rapist thing like my first instinct is is to be like yes that's absolutely who he is and he should be punished for it because he hasn't been punished yet um and and all the great films he's made good for us mm-hmm. he has not actually paid his debt yeah it, you know what i mean you know and what? so like I, I, it doesn't negate it I am a proponent of the idea that art is uh, important and, and integral to the progress of, of a society, but I would trade every film, I would give up, have wiped from the record every film what about, Roman Polanski What has, about Pirates with yes, Walter Matthau? I'm saying any, every film Roman Polanski has made, I would happily go without it, have it not ever exist, be wiped from the record if it means that girl didn't get raped. It's, oh, absolutely. That, it's not it's not that powerful right no i agree all right um there's a documentary about roger corman coming out that sounds sounds yeah, kind of cool absolutely. Uh, i don't know much about it he fascinates me as a filmmaker yeah. as, a, as a producer but we'll, yeah. we'll move on um because december impossible. 16th there's all kinds of stuff that that because uh, sherlock holmes We've is that day too let's talk about mission impossible ghost protocol okay because i'm excited for it me too uh because it's brad bird we're coming off the. I mean, it's been a number a number of years at this point. We're still coming off the best entry in the Mission Impossible franchise, Mission Impossible Three. Yeah. J.J. Um, Abrams remains as a producer yep. on this. Uh, Simon Pegg uh, has, from what I understand, a larger role mm-hmm. uh, in this one. Um, Jeremy Renner's in it. Jeremy Renner, I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited about, it. and I. Uh, for all I, I know, I'm the 
umpteenth millionth person to say this, but for all the craziness around Tom Cruise, I still get interest. I still get excited when he's in a movie. He is. We've said this before. We said it with War of the Worlds. We said it with Mission Impossible. He may be kind of a, a crazy guy. He may be, you know, somewhat predictable in the type of films that he winds up in. But he but, is okay. dependable. He but is he's not, always he, dependable. Um, he doesn't. He's not like a Matthew McConaughey, who oh, it keeps it keeps ending up in the same types of films. Mm. And doesn't seem to be that concerned with whether they're good or not. Okay. Whereas I think Tom Cruise, even if something like Night and Day doesn't work out, yeah, I think I don't think he signs on to a film just because he's like, all right, I can do an action movie. This is an action script. Right. I think more of it goes. There's more that goes into his thought process. And also, you know, everything I read about the guy and from people who have uh, read interviews with people who have worked worked with him. Uh, even after he's made sure that uh, he's on board with the director and the screenplay and the and the part, uh, he doesn't just coast through. He is constantly working to make the film yeah, better oh. while they're while they're doing it. I, I think uh, he again he might not be the uh, you know he might not be a Viggo Mortensen level of uh, truly gifted actor, but he. And I actually think he is a very gifted actor. You see Born and on the Fourth of July, Magnolia, what I'm Jerry Maguire. Is that, uh, he, I, I don't know that he, I think he has charisma, mm-hmm. and that gets him so far. Yeah. And I think where he might lack in God-given talent that uh, Viggo Mortensen um, <laughs> relying on for some reason here, uh, where he might lack in that God-given talent, he makes up for in hard work. He, yeah, he really wants stuff to be good. And so I, I get excited when he's in a movie. Very much so. And and I, in spite of the fact that I loved Mission Impossible 3, I, I don't care. I've never cared about the Mission Impossible franchise ever. And then I was pleasantly surprised by that one. Uh-huh. Uh, and then this one, and I was like, they're doing another one? Are you kidding me? Good Lord. <laughs> and it was like, Brad Bird, yeah, all yeah. right. I think I'll wind up more disappointed with him than pleased with the film. And then I saw that trailer, and I know that trailers oh, aren't everything, trailer. but man, oh, man. It just looks like so much fun. And I had to go back to this idea of like the man who directed, who conceived and directed the sequence in The Incredibles of Dash running. Uh That's the man who's making a Mission Impossible film. And when I realized that, I'm like, holy lord, this is going to be amazing. Live action, not only live action, but with with the budget that comes with the Mission Impossible film. Although I don't think the budget is as big as it was in Mission Impossible 3, because Mission Impossible 3 wasn't as much of a success as uh, Paramount would have liked. I'm kind of excited about that. I'm excited that it's, that gives it underdog status, David. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And finally, on December 16th, Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. I try and avoid trailers, but I can't seem to avoid this one. Okay. I've seen it way too much. Did you see the first film? No, I never did. I, speaking of pleasant surprises, I was very pleasantly surprised with the first film. Uh, I thought it was a very fun action movie. I think Guy Ritchie has finally come into his own. Um, Lockstock was fun. You know, Snatch was was fun. And then he kind of went off the rails for a while. And then with this, he really, good attention to detail, strong characterizations. And, okay, this is just me probably being a little dumb. I am excited for Moriarty. You, you need a good villain, and I and there was a lot of talk about. It's like, oh, maybe Daniel Day Lewis will play him. Like that was the that was the, the scuttlebutt for a long time. And I like that they went with someone who is much less known, but such a great actor, which is yeah. Jared Harris. Yeah. And I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to see him go up against. I'm excited to see him go up against 
an actor as charismatic as Robert Downey Jr. and match him because I know he can. Yeah. Uh, I mean, people know him from from Mad Men and some other stuff, but I know you didn't. You haven't watched Fringe. No, I haven't. Which Jared Harris was on the first season of Fringe, uh, a number of a few episodes, um, and it's a storyline that was for the better of the show abandoned, but. Uh, it is unfortunate because his performance, which seems the character he was playing on Fringe, seems like a Moriarty type. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what gets me excited by the idea of, of for the idea of him uh, playing the role. Uh, so uh, what I'm saying is, is um, as fortunate as it was in the lard long run for Fringe mm-hmm. to have abandoned that storyline, it is a bummer that we didn't get more yeah. of Jared Harris in that role. But it looks like we're getting more of that type of role with Moriarty. You should watch the first one. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure I'd love it. I mean, it sounds like it's- I think it's right up your alley. I think you'd enjoy it. What'd you say? I, I'm being sarcastic. I don't know if you are. Um, I think you actually would like it. Adventures of Tintin. I'm excited, and I'll tell you why. Because I know um, I haven't seen it, but I know I have, or I have some Twitter friends, I guess, who have seen it, and uh, the reviews have been not 100 percent good from those people. Mm-hmm. But the people who have said it's good are people who. Whose opinion I, I trust? Do you think, there are people do you think, whose opinion I trust who have said it's it's not as good. I so. know nothing about Tintin. It is not. Yeah, it is either. completely out of my realm of experience, and I feel like it's just not for me. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean that it's not going to be good. I think it could be very good. I think Spielberg clearly is passionate about the about the material. Um, I guess I'll see it because it'll be a big movie, but. I don't really care that much about it, and when I and I don't mean I'm I'm I don't mean I don't care in like a really dismissive way, like it can't possibly be good. I just it's just not for me, and it very well could be if I was into if I knew anything about that material, but I don't, and so I could go in go back and like read some of it, but like I don't know, it's but I just, just don't just, have that kind of time. Just think of it as a new film you don't have to think about the source material i mean if, you, if it depends on the source material for, you, material for you to like it then it's not a good film to begin with so that's well, what I'm, I'm not which thinking. is exactly why i didn't like the uh, last harry potter but uh oh yeah i'm too like i said too much of a fanboy to right. be because I, I, I see that but I, and I, I guess that's my issue is like that's a i love the harry potter series and then that last one was clearly so dependent on knowing the source material that i didn't enjoy it and so i feel like in seeing tin tin which is probably a great movie or it could very well be a yeah, great movie, could. and it just would not be a satisfactory, a fully satisfactory experience uh, I, for me. I'm going in, sort of, convincing myself that Tintin is not a thing that exists outside of this film, okay. and just watching it that way. That's okay. my plan. Uh, Albert Nobbs uh, again seems like a thing. Like maybe with my 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 week with Marilyn, that it's more about yeah the performance than the film. It's about two performances. Janet McTeer, yeah, whom I love, yeah, and so yeah, I, I'm. I like Glenn, Co- Glenn Close. I didn't see Damages, but I just rewatched uh, Reversal of Fortune the other day. She's an actress that I feel like people don't think about I very need, often. I need to watch Reversal of Fortune again. Because I think... I mean, I liked it. Yeah. But I think I would like it more now because I think I'm a more mature uh, person and uh, film watcher than I was when I saw it over 10 years ago. I... I've seen that film probably 15 times, Mm -hmm. like 15 or 20 times. I loved it. I first saw it when I was like 14, and I loved it, and I loved it all the way through. Uh, In watching it again, there are parts that I love more than I ever have and parts that I'm like, "Mm, that's a little creaky. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I remember, like I said, I liked it, but I remember thinking that it was a little bit stodgy. 
But I wonder mm-hmm. if that was my immaturity because thinking of the stodgy part is what I like more now. Yeah, think thinking of other things that I now know about Barbette Schroeder mm-hmm. uh, as a director. Um, uh, that's what makes me think that uh, I maybe just wasn't advanced enough to no. to like the film as much as it probably deserved. But but, but with anyway, this Albert film, Knopps. I'm I'm excited about it because I think it's going to be a really good performance. But it does seem. I think it's going to be a very good performance. But everything about it just seems gimmicky. And I'm sorry to bring up Transamerica. Which I didn't see. I did. And a great performance in a movie that kind of who cares. And it just seems more like a, not gimmicky, novelty. It seems like a novelty kind of thing. Not, And I won't say Boys Don't Cry is like a novelty because there's real stakes there. And it's a real horrible, and it's a true story, but either way, it's a real terrible thing that happened. Whereas like Albert Knobs and, and Transamerica, where, you know, it's a woman playing a man, or in this case, uh, uh, the character is a woman being a man. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I feel like so many people, there's a lot of potential there that I think she will realize Specifically because there, there's going to be so much – there's such a possibility for people to go in and only see the fact that it is a woman playing a man without seeing anything underneath. And it would be very easy if it were a lesser actress to play it only as that. But I think Glenn Close is a good enough actress that she will show us more than simply, look how convincingly I can play a man. You know, mm-hmm. I think there will be more there and that's what I'm looking forward to more than more – than just the surface of the of of the story. I hope you're right. And if the reviews p- prove you wrong, I will just stay in that weekend and watch Victor Victoria. Again, there you go. <laughs> which is a great movie, by the way. Uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I feel like this is a big deal and something we should talk a lot about. But I'm not that. Uh, I don't feel that strongly. Jen has read all the books. She loves That's them. That's your wife. As yes, my wife Jen. Uh, she loves them. Uh, I ha- as many people do. I'm excited. David Fincher is a le- is legitimately exciting for me now. As a director, if I see that ever since Zodiac, and mm-hmm. certainly now that Social Network has come out, I did mm-hmm. not see Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yeah, um, it felt like he was. Everything about that feels like he was fulfilling a contract on his way to doing something uh, substantial. But, um, <laughs> but with this, it seems exciting to me. Uh, but it does. It's exciting, but I'm not really necessarily passionate about it. I'm the the. The squeamish part of me is wary of how rapey the story is. Yeah, it does. It, it does kind of have a. Having not read the books, mm-hmm. it seems like very serious stuff, but with a pulp sensibility at times. And so maybe yeah, it's kind of rapey, but in a way, in a very sordid way. That's like. Oh, look how edgy we are. It's like, yeah, rape is not merely edgy. Uh-huh. Like, it's a pretty horrible thing. And so, like, yeah, I do. But I feel like Fincher is a mature enough director that I feel like he can add weight to it. Okay. It still sounds pretty brutal. Oh, I'm sure uh, it is. I, I don't know. Um, In the Land of Blood and, Blood and Honey sounds brutal for other reasons. Which one is that? That's the one that Angelina Jolie directed that sounds... Uh, All right. I mean, it's about... Um, it, it's... Uh, okay. A love affair set during the 1990s civil war in Bosnia. Ugh. It sounds pretty heavy-handed, <laughs> and it sounds like Angelina Jolie making a movie about a thing that is important to her, and that's great for her. I just don't know that it's going to be. Good this is a narrative her. film. 
Yeah, yeah. So here we are again, at least <laughs> to a much higher profile actor making a film. And again, it's it seems like she's trying to it seems like she's trying to prove something, and and be like be like this is what I make when I decide. I'm going to direct something. You're going to damn well know it. And this is what it's going to be. Yeah. Hackers is in my past. Thank you. Now I make, what's the name? Uh, in the land of blood and honey. In the land of blood and honey. Of course it's called that. It's a bad, it's a bad name. Oh, that's a self-important name. Sympathy for blood and honey. Delicious. <laughs> you know, what's a good name for what's a movie? That? Uh, we bought a zoo. I like that as a title. Yeah, it's it's like snakes on a plane, where it's just like <laughs> I think I got it. Uh, but I'm, I'm my hopes are a little bit up for this one too. I think I like uh, I like the idea of Cameron Crowe. Has he made a family film before? Am I missing something? Missing out on something? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, because this is a PG rated uh, yeah. family type film. I mean, it. I'm sure he will be able to get around the fact that Scarlett Johansson is in it. Um, <laughs> but I you know I like I like Matt Damon. Yeah. It's uh when I wrote it down uh I put a question mark by it cuz I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Like I I know that I know that we can't go by trailers. I get that. Um but like when I saw the trailer I was like Cameron Crowe made this. Uh-huh. It's more than this. Like you know what I mean like if it if I didn't know that like my, I, I watched it with uh, the trailer with uh, my wife. It was on TV, and she was like, "What is Matt Damon doing?" And I was like, "He's being in a Cameron Crowe film. That's what he's doing." <laughs> if I didn't know that, my instinct might be like, "Yeah, what is he doing? Something here's, for his kids, I guess." Here's my only uh, a qualm about Cameron Crowe that has grown in my in my mind in the year since I've learned who he is. He's a big. Uh, everyone, everyone always talks about he's a big rock fan, you know. Mm-hmm. He wrote obviously almost famous and all that stuff. But it's like, you know, if you take any like rock album by a rock band, the one song on that album that's like the more down tempo, quieter song, mm-hmm. that's Cameron Crowe's favorite song on the album. <laughs> and I feel like he's a rock fan that doesn't really like rock music. <laughs> oh, we are a couple of pretentious assholes. <laughs> anyway, do you ever get? Let me ask you this. And I, I, I'm, I'm not attacking you because this is how I feel. Do you ever just get tired of being you? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Okay, just making I sure. Up, I wake up tired of being you. <laughs> um, all right. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Uh, off-puttingly precious. <laughs> you know what, though? It just I'm actually ex- I'm excited about it. Ca- again, cautiously so. That seems to be a common theme, by the way, in a lot of what I've been saying. This, this is. Would you say this has been a good year for movies? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Man, I say very much not. There's a couple Hold great on. ones. Okay. Take Shelter. Yeah. The Future. The Tree of Life. Didn't see it. Tree of Life. Project yeah. Nim. Didn't uh, see it. Klitschko. Um, the Skin We Live In. Uh, a Dangerous Method. And I did. And you know what? I didn't. See, Skin I Live and I've, I've heard that like that's a really great performance by Antonio Banderas, but the film itself is only okay. I think the film is only uh, the the film was by Almodovar standards. Okay, it's not it's not up to his best stuff, but it's still a really a really good film. Okay, I think it's still in my top ten. Yeah, this has definitely been a strong strong year. And I feel like I'm probably it, missing you know, out. On I some think I think maybe it's and you know what maybe this is maybe this is how it is every year. I don't know. I feel like this is a good year. 
for indie films. Because, like, Martha Marcy May Marlene is wonderful. I saw that. It was wonderful. Take Shelter is great. You know, you mentioned Project Nip. You know, kind of mm-hmm. indie films and documentaries, which... And I know that I shouldn't judge a film based on the mainstream Hollywood films and how good they are. Or you mean judge be. a year by... Judge, what did I say? You said judge a film. I'm sorry. Yes, judge yeah. a year by, by that. Um, I know I shouldn't do that, but I don't know. I, I sometimes I sometimes think in those terms that like almost is like, well, yeah, if you incorporate indie films, then every year is a good, a good movie year. <laughs> um, but nobody does. You know, it's, I don't know if that's true. I, I, I think I do. I think... Most indie films stink. <laughs> Did we just talk about answers to nothing? <laughs> That's right. Um, um, sympathy for delicious. Oh my yes. Yeah. And so yeah, it's. It, I don't know. I was like, I was looking at my, and I think you've seen more films than I have. I think that's that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. Um, not as many as Scott though. Not as many as Scott. Scott, man, <laughs> I'm so glad you're on our side. Yeah, this is a Twitter conversation we had that just spilled over into the podcast. But the, um, but yeah, like I was looking at my my list from of movies I've seen this year, like I was looking at it, and really like only my top five are movies that I would, I feel like I could safely say these are great movies, but well, only in my top five. Okay. We haven't talked at all about yeah. extremely loud and incredibly close. Right. It, well, it's Stephen Daldry, who I feel like is a pretty dependable director. What has he made? The hours. He made Billy Elliot. Okay. The hours. Okay. And the reader. He has been nominated for every film he's made. Yeah. Um, but the, okay, I like Billy Elliot and The Hours, but at the same time, the pretentious snob in me mm-hmm. wants to say that's exactly the kind of um, faux literate middle brow stuff that the that the award season is made for. When people oh. talk about like, oh, that's an Oscar bait movie, yeah, they're talking about Stephen Dolger films. Did you see the reader? No, I didn't. Oh I didn't. boy. It's it's a film that has like some really has some great in it. That, that's the thing is he's not a he's not like a hack director by but, any stretch. But would you call him an auteur? No, no. He seems like a guy no, no. who's making prestige pictures. Prestige. He's yes. He's a prestige journeyman. No question. Um, and I think that's what is different about this film, or at least that's what I based on the the story. There's plenty of like prestige. Like oh okay, father dies in nine eleven, and I I'm sorry to skim over that and be really cynical about it, but but it it just it it has that vibe to it. But it does look but, like it has a bit more. Uh, it, it seems a bit more Billy Elliot like, not merely because the main character is a kid, but it does seem to have more joie de vivre than the other films. But it's about the fact that it's about this high concept thing. That yeah, he died in September eleventh, but he left. A key behind a mysterious key. That, right. Does this? We were just talking a little bit ago about the pianist and using the Holocaust as a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it feel like this is based on the story? Does it feel like it's using September 11th as that same kind of shortcut? I. You know what? Here's the thing. If I think, having not seen the film, my guess is the fact that his dad died in a in a cultural event. That affected a lot of people, if not directly, mm-hmm. then like in, just as a as a country. The fact that his dad died in that way and not merely got in a car accident, I think, adds a, another layer of sig- significance to his okay. death. And so, I feel like they will probably handle that well. But yes, it could be. I think, I think, maybe not with this film, but at some point, nine eleven will become that. If it's not that already. Um, that it's just 
It's about 9-11, so whether it's a comedy or a drama, it's worth paying attention to. It doesn't matter what the story is. It's about 9-11. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about And apparently uh, Max von Sydow has an, a very notable role, and that's always a step in the right definitely, direction. Definitely. So. Um, a movie that's going to have to really work really hard to convince me to see it is the second Steven Spielberg film of the season, War Horse. Cannot get excited about it at all, and that is saying something, because I like Spielberg. I like Spielberg, but I can't get through the description of the plot without uh, cracking a smile. It's, uh, it sounds so, it's so stupid. Well, my friend was talking to me about it, and it's based, uh, based on a play. Oh, I thought it was based on a play that was itself based on a, a book. Yes, a, I, think, I think it's like that. Like a children's yes. or a young adult book. And the thing is, and the play has the horse as like a like a puppet that is uh I've seen pictures yeah and it's several people right yeah several people working the horse working working uh the the horse mechanism and that in itself is interesting and theatrical and i feel like the the theatricality of it sort of undercuts just the sheer sentiment and and i don't know the schmaltzy aspect of it and so I feel like it would work much better as that play than this film. Um, I know it sounds terrible, but part of me is just part of me wants to be like, it's just a horse, man. <laughs> like people, like actual people are dying. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. I, I, I know that sounds a little callous of me, but it's like it's just a horse. Yeah, and also this it, isn't Saving Private Ryan. You can't join the army to go look for a horse because the <laughs> army is like there's strict. If you're gonna just you're a wall at that point, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe that's part of the story that he goes AWOL, but it seems like get your priorities in order, man. Yeah, and and I understand like the horse like has meaning for him. I I underst- I do understand it's a living thing, and and it and it has a great deal of significance for him and his family. I get that, but at the end of the at the end of the day, which is a phrase I know you don't like, it's just a horse, and. <laughs> I hate to be that callous. I, I really hate to be that callous about it. And I know that I should go along with the reality of the film, but part of me feels like that's all I'm going to be thinking. Uh-huh. Especially when the characters <laughs> are talking about it in such a meaningful way. I just want to be like, it's it's not your dad. It's not your brother. <laughs> it's not your friend. What if you turn... What if, that's the twist at the end. Like, he's crazy and he was seeing it as a horse, but it was actually his brother all along. I'm so there. I'm okay. first in line. All right. I'll be I'll be I'm going to be disappointed if that's not the twist. <laughs> All right, let's uh power through a couple more here because I don't okay. know very much about Pariah except that it uh was a hit at Sundance apparently. I don't know anything about Angel's Crest. Um The Iron Lady? Are you excited? It's from the director of Mamma Mia, right? Uh-huh. Okay, that's <laughs> a strike against see. it. Um Here's the thing about Meryl Streep. A lot of people look at her performance as Julia Child, as Margaret Th- Thatcher in The Iron Lady, and they're like, man, she's really out to get an Oscar. And it's like, okay, first off, she has two. Admittedly, it's been a while since she's – it's been 29 years since she's won one, <laughs> and it's probably her turn. But I don't think that's why she picks roles. Margaret Thatcher is a very divisive figure. I mean, some people love her. Some people hate her. And there's really a lot there, and she's a very powerful person. You know, it's almost like, hey, it, it's like, nobody said that about Franklin Jello when he wanted to be 
you know, when he was Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. If you get the, if you're a good actor and you and you like the idea of playing a strong role, and you get the opportunity to play Richard Nixon or Margaret Thatcher or let's say Winston Churchill, you play them. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't necessarily like the attitude that people are adopting. It's just like, well, it's just, it's like. The, don't get me wrong. There are movies that are Oscar bait, and this, by the very nature of it and who's in it, is Oscar bait. But I'm sure that she, as she always does, I love her as an actress because just when you think you know exactly how she's going to play a character, she'll throw you a little curveball, and you're like, damn, that's right. She's an actress. She's not merely an icon who is in important films from time to time where she disappears into her real-life role. She's an actress, mm-hmm. and... She'll always do something interesting with that role, and I'm I'm for that reason I am excited to to see the Iron Lady. Yeah, I'm excited because I like Meryl Streep and everything she's in. But I wonder if this will be the third in what's become a bit of a, a theme here with my week in Marilyn and Albert Nobbs and my fears about those. Will it be a movie that is just a mediocre showcase for a great performance? Oh, I have no doubt that it's going to be that. Right. Although I think. Uh, I think it's got a pretty good supporting cast as well. I believe Jim Broadbent is in The Iron Lady. Oh, I like And that's a, I, I like him as well. Um, now, uh, by the way, I, all the examples I've given here and the one I gave before, the Life in Pink, were all uh, female-driven performances. So I just want to throw out The Wrestler as a movie that I also think is a mediocre oh, film that's a showcase for a great performance. Anyway. What, would, would you say, uh, what about Crazy Heart? Um, I don't think the film is mediocre, but I think that is a film driven by its central performance it is but you know what as the film went on i found myself liking the director's choices more and more and i think it did by the way by by the way by the end uh work its way out of okay out of that okay it could have been that but there are choices I and mean, there's the the scene with uh jeff bridges and robert duvall in the fishing <sighs> boat you know that's not about uh, just jeff bridges showcase like that's right uh two great actors but also strong directorial choices made in that very brief scene yeah. that make it very powerful and that's what that it seems the handful of scenes like that that uh, lifted that movie above what we're talking about here ray ray is a mediocre film built around what many consider to be a wonderful performance i think it's actually rather surfacy but uh, that's an example of what you're talking about all right you asked me if this has been a good year and i want to talk about another film i didn't mention but okay. i that i have seen um, in uh, an Iranian film called A Separation. Oh, okay, yeah. It is so, so very good. Uh, the story, uh, I, I don't even want to go in too much to the story. It starts off with uh, a wife wanting to get a divorce for her husband so she can take their daughter and move to America. Um, very much an issues-centric mm-hmm. type of thing, especially given you know the 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 role and, and status of women as citizens in in Iran, and it definitely uh, explores that. Um, but it that is really just the inciting incident to what is a movie that you. It's not a M Night Shyamalan twist after twist movie, but you won't see the next thing coming throughout the entire movie, but in a way that feels completely natural. It's a complete nat- natural. Is it a movie. drama? Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a film that you can, and no, at no point, uh, a, a phrase we've used, see the strings. Mm-hmm. You can never see the strings in this film, despite the fact that it's clearly very meticulously plotted, you know, in, in the way that things about the story and the characters in the story are revealed over the course of the film. Uh, it's, it's, it's not just, you know, a freewheeling, freewheeling, uh, uh, cinema verite type of approach it's 
uh, very consciously uh, and decisively, uh, you know, constructed uh, from beginning to end, but in a way that you will not see the gears or see the strings at all. It features a number, not just the the the, the lead couple, but um, the other actors who turn in fantastic performances, uh, and it is definitely one of the films of the year. Hmm. A separation. A separation. All yeah. right. Sounds very exciting. Okay, I don't know anything about Beneath the Darkness except Dennis Quaid's in it. Uh, Wait, are we are we going into January here? Yeah. Oh, I didn't uh, look that far in. Okay, then we'll run because through these. I didn't Great. care. Okay, Beneath the Darkness, The Devil Inside, The Possession, Rhodey. Um, oh, Contraband. I did uh, that movie Red Tails, we'll which is it. about the. Hold oh, on. okay. I want uh, Beauty and the Beast coming out in 3D. I'm kind of excited for that. I don't know why, but I just want to see Beauty and the Beast theatrically, I guess. Fair enough. Again, uh, Joyful Noise, I don't know about. Okay, Red Tails. Okay. Uh, that is the, that's George Lucas's film about the uh, Tuskegee Airmen, and uh, it looks... As a producer. He's not the director. As a, as a producer. But, it, but I, when I say George Lucas's film, I mean he's been trying to put this movie together for like 20, 30 years. So it's very much a passion project for him, and it looks horrible. It looks so it does look horrible. absolutely terrible. It's like someone said, all these negative reviews about Pearl Harbor be damned. I want that movie, but I want, I want it from these characters' point of view. But I want, it, I want to inha- them to inhabit the same universe as Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. It looks so – it's such a – here's what gets me. It is not merely a waste of a good cast. It is the it is a waste of a great story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like it's like uh, it's like my recent thought about J. Uh, J. Edgar the the Clint Eastwood film. Sure, they're going to make another they're going to make another film about J. Edgar Hoover at some point. It might not happen within my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And that is a character who's so fascinating. He deserves a gr- a much better film than was made about him. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same Didn't way about you, the Tuskegee Airmen. And you felt that way about John Dillinger, even though I loved Public Enemies, right? But that's but the thing for you different did, reasons. You you didn't love it because of how revealing it was right. about John yeah. Dillinger. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there has been a, a great film about Dillinger called Dillinger with uh, Warren Oates. So that's very good. Uh, but also, one of the credited writers of Red Tails is Aaron Magruder, who uh, created the Boondocks uh, oh, yeah. comic strip. Yeah, yeah. With, uh, and that seems very promising to me. I love Boondocks, yeah. and, but I, I doubt that the film has that sort of uh, incisive and sharp-tongued satire. Oh, it, man. There are so many words that you just said that don't apply to this film. Based um, on – based solely on, on trailers. Based on trailers and, and yes, yes. Yeah, just okay. uh, um, what I've read about it. All right, uh, Haywire. Um, I'm a little oh, yeah. excited for because of the footage uh, I saw at Comic Con, but we talked about that in the Comic Con episode. Yeah. I think um, I am excited for Miss Bala, um, which there will I believe there will be a review on the site when that comes out. Um, but I can't remember which writer of ours. Uh, they're ours. Damn right there. <laughs> uh, uh, and you better it. you don't forget it. I'm talking to you, Bergamini. Um, but uh, it's the the reviews have been good. It it doesn't sound like it's something that's up my alley because it sounds kind of uh, it's sort of like um, what's his name, Fernando Moreas, City of God. Mm-hmm. Based on the description, didn't really sound like something up up my alley because mm-hmm. it sounds kind of uh, and it is this kind of uh, uh, hip and uh, violent in like a cool way, mm-hmm. you know, um, and yet 
City of God ended up being done so very well yeah. that I loved it. And the description of I'll, I'll read Entertainment Weekly's description of Miss Bala. Uh, it's the story of a, pa- uh, a pageant queen who is kidnapped by a Baja cartel after witnessing a massacre. Um, and it's supposed to be a pretty violent movie, and it sounds like the sort of like hip, like post postmodern, post Tarantino type of thing that would turn me off. Uh, post Scorsese, post Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, but the review's been really strong, so I'm actually uh, okay. interested in seeing it. Um, the fourth Underworld movie. Ugh, That's another really? oh, another franchise I've only seen the first one of. Right. Well done. Um, Man on a Ledge. I don't know about it. Uh, it sounded for, pretty good, actually. Yeah. And one for the money and the gray. Those oh the boy, ones. one for the money. What is Wait. that? It's a Catherine Heigl film. Um, the, what is? Uh, can you read the description of the gray? Actually, reuniting with A Team director Joe Carnahan, mm. Liam Neeson leads a group of oil drillers after their plane crashes in the middle of the Alaska wilderness, filled with some very hungry wolves. Okay, I do want to see that. <laughs> right? I didn't see the A Team, but I like Joe Carnahan. I like, I like Joe. I like. Uh, yeah. I uh, enjoyed uh, Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Octane. Is that what it was mm. called? And Narc. Yeah. Uh, I said Narc. Oh, I didn't hear you. Oh. Um, I, and it's you got to uh, keep up. I'm sorry. It's, it, I'm not talking too fast. You're listening too slow. <laughs> huh? <laughs> so, um, yeah, and just, I know, I, there are certain things that I'm a total sucker for. And, like, wilderness survival, uh-huh. not into the into the wild wilderness survival where it's like, you know, there's some kind of uh, inner journey. I'm talking the edge. And, and, like, Eddie Vedder singing in Navajo or something. <laughs> But just like yeah, the edge. It's it's yeah. It's not merely like it's like yeah yeah spiritual journey whatever. I want a beast after you. <laughs> That's what I want. Man against nature, and I want man to win. Damn it, because I'm I'm a man. I mean, technically. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, I like I like Liam Neeson's new career. <laughs> yeah, me too. But okay. Um, all right, we've been going quite long enough, uh, as usual, with these previews, but I think we got some good conversation out of this. I am so excited that this wound up only being an hour 45. <laughs> well, let's try and uh, wrap up so it stays close to an hour and 45. Uh, as usual, we've I mean, we've talked at length. Uh, this episode ended up being another plug for the website, but that's, cause that's all I want to do these days because right. I seriously am so proud. I go to the website like multiple times a day, and I just look at it. I'm like, I'm so proud of what has the battleship pretension name on it oh absolutely uh, it, and and we would be remiss if we talk about the website without talking about the the bloggers they're all doing a really great job yeah, we talked about scott uh yeah um kyle kyle uh, has uh has added another blog to his series about james bond this one about james bond in the 70s it's really really great it is it is really good so. um and yeah scott's afi fest coverage um has been fantastic was, was fantastic uh I've been writing more. Yeah, very yeah. exciting. Um, uh, this week, I'm trying to think uh, the week of what's coming out that we'll have reviews for. Oh, Takeshi Kitano's Outrage, which was mentioned in, in this episode. Uh, the review will be up this week. Um, other than that, you can, uh, of course, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or just listen directly from the site at battleshipretention.com. Uh, you can email us, David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension or follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter feed of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or in iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review show previously on at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. All right. 
so yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks. Oh, real quick. Now we have, as of the time, you know, as of uh, this is Tuesday, as we said earlier. Um, we have not received any emails of your guys' impressions of us. <laughs> we haven't. Okay, and I don't like that at all. Send those. Yeah, record yourselves doing impressions. Yeah, of us. And send so. it to Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. Absolutely. All right. I, am I going to wind up being insulted? Oh, I think so. <laughs> so I'm already preparing for that. But, uh, yeah, so thanks, everybody, for uh, bearing with us for uh, the you know this uh, fairly long episode. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.